You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Dylan from Dollar Revolution. This is Kim from the Frugal Engineers. Hi, this is Danielle from Boomer Benefits. This is Lynn Frere from NurseNumbers.com. And you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson. And this is Doc G. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, hey, Doc, we have a tricky topic today that confounds many of us because it's a conundrum that most U.S. residents have to solve for. Will healthcare costs hinder your path to financial independence? We have a panel of experts made up of people who help solve this question and fire enthusiasts who've each had to struggle with healthcare-related issues in their own lives. Let's set the stage for the conversation, beginning with introductions. Hi, I'm Dylan from Dollar Revolution, where we're looking to change the way you think about money through storytelling and parables, trying to make money more relatable for non-money nerds. Hi, I'm Kim. I write at the Frugal Engineers, and my family, we are retiring from engineering at age 35 through the entrepreneurship self-employment freelance pass. This is Danielle. I am the co-founder at Boomer Benefits, where we help baby boomers across America navigate their entry into Medicare. This is Lynn Frere, and I am the founder of NurseNumbers.com, and I help nurses specifically as a financial coach after I left nursing at age of 39, and one of the areas that I focus on is healthcare options in early retirement. So Lynn, let's start with you. What do you say to young people when they say, you know, I exercise and I eat well, and that's going to be the best health insurance policy for me? I do think that that is a critical health insurance policy. Everything that we do, every decision we make is assuming some level of risk. And so that's one way to mitigate the risk. And you have to look at what could happen if something catastrophic happens. And am I willing to assume that risk? So My feeling and what I say to younger folks is that's one element, but it does assume quite a bit of risk. And most people are, would have a hard time assuming something catastrophic. So are they willing to take on that risk? And for most people, the answer is no. And so I recommend several different layers of looking at healthcare options and early retirement aside from just preventative. But that is, I do agree, a key point. And can you talk about in your own life, unexpected health issues, ones that you couldn't have planned for? 
for example, I think that has motivated me along the path. So for those who don't know me, I started investing when I was 12, was doing quite well, you know, like you do with your babysitting money. And then in my late 20s, I got a brain tumor and it wiped out my husband and I, we were married at that point. I was older than 12. I was in my 20s and it wiped out everything we had saved. And even though I had health insurance, I calculated my total out-of-pocket cost to be over $100,000. So that was critical. I was in the healthcare system. I worked for a healthcare system and had tremendous out-of-pocket. So I think that has informed my passion for helping people with healthcare options in early retirement. And even with that, we were able to retire early. You could call it retirement, but we're busy doing things we're passionate about. So yes, that definitely informed my passion for this. I want to second most of what Lynn said. I've had an older brother who was diagnosed with glioblastoma multiform, extremely aggressive brain tumor. He was an ultra marathon runner, ran over 100 miles every week, never got sick enough to take a pill in his life. 11 months later, he died from it. So somebody that took every preventative measure possible and still not always enough So that influences our fire number to be almost double what we probably need for our yearly expenses. Just trying to take account any worst case scenarios that could come along to not put a burden on anyone else on our family. Try to insulate that ourselves. Danielle, Dylan just said fire, financial independence, retire early. So you have a lot of people in our community who are looking at ways out of the workplace in their 30s and 40s. They tend to look at their 60s and 70s as carefree, right? (sighs) Medicare is the answer. Are there unexpected costs even after you get into Medicare? Is Medicare the answer to all of our healthcare problems once we just get old enough? I wish I could say that it was, but Medicare has tons of unexpected costs. I would say that approximately 40% of the baby boomers that come to our business and begin the conversation about Medicare have no idea that Medicare isn't free. So we think of national health care as something like Britain or Canada has, where taxes are built in, but you pay no premiums for Medicare. You also have FICA taxes that you see on your paychecks, every payroll throughout your working life. So we just tend to assume that we're going to get there and that's taken care of. Unfortunately, it's just not the case. Your FICA taxes go to pay for your hospital coverage, but you will also have outpatient coverage. And Medicare only covers about 80% of that. So to Lynn's point, if you have a health condition come up, even one that's mildly unexpected and not a total catastrophic event, you're going to be paying 20% of that out of pocket unless you purchase additional insurance like supplemental insurance. Plus, Medicare doesn't cover some things like dental and vision and hearing, and it's not like we turned 65 and suddenly don't need those services anymore. So while Medicare can be excellent insurance when paired with the right variables like dental coverage and supplemental, a lot of people are totally unprepared for that cost, and we see people get ready to retire, learn what it will cost, and decide to work a few more years because they realize suddenly that they didn't put enough away to meet their retirement timeline because they didn't know that Medicare was going to cost them any money. So Kim, do we underplay the importance of healthcare costs in our financial independence journey? I mean, when we have these conversations, we often talk about the three main costs and how to be more frugal with them. We talk about housing, we talk about transportation, we talk about food. You don't hear us talk much about healthcare. Are we missing out on an important conversation? definitely think it's something that isn't researched until maybe the week before you decide to leave your job. 
I know for us personally, when we have considered taking different job options, because my husband and I both freelance right now, the first question we ask is, tell us about your health insurance plan. And would it cost more for us to be on your plan than what we currently have, right? Because we're looking at total compensation. But I think as far as planning for it in early retirement, depending on where you live, because each state and each county has a different level of subsidy based on your income level, depending on where we live, it could be more than our mortgage. Let's talk about some of those state-to-state differences. When you guys were looking into health insurance, you found that being in Oregon maybe was not to your benefit. Is that right? Absolutely. So we value flexibility and choice in our health care coverage because year to year our needs will change. Sometimes we'll have braces. Sometimes we won't use dental insurance. Maybe we're planning to have another baby, right? So the things that we can plan for, we we try our best to predict what those costs are going to be, or at least a range. The biggest thing with leaving Oregon and coming to Wyoming, where we live now, was the availability of short-term health insurance plans. In Oregon, they limit the term of a short-term plan for three months at a time, and then you have to renew and renew. And in Wyoming, you can do 364 days without having to re-up and switch providers or potentially be denied if you have a pre-existing condition come up during that term. Lynn, you were faced with the same question. You decided to leave nursing and one of your big decisions had to be, what are my healthcare options? What were you looking at when you were considering leaving nursing? I think, what was it at the age of 39? Like what was on the plate? So I had begun studying options for three years prior. So this was actually the biggest factor that we looked at. We're a family of four. We have two small children. Although I'm pretty darn healthy. I've ran a marathon since that darn brain tumor, but I have seen what can happen, especially working from the inside of healthcare. So I started formulating a comprehensive list of all the options I could find with the pros and cons and the eligibility because I couldn't find it out there. So I looked at all my options. Now I'm up to 22 different options. And, you know, a lot of what I would say actually about formulating a plan for healthcare options in early retirement is planning is indispensable, but the plans are useless, basically. (laughs) There's a famous quote, is it Dwight Eisenhower? I'm not sure who it is, but things pivot so much, I think, especially with a family of four, that knowing all of your options, because life doesn't get unpredictable after you leave your job. You know, it's unpredictable before you leave and it's unpredictable after, and you don't know what'll happen. And we've had some wonderful things that have happened after that were surprising and some other things that we couldn't plan for. So one of the things I hope to talk about is health sharing ministries, because I've done a lot of research on that. And I would think that would be very interesting to your audience. But yeah, it's been very interesting going through the path. Danielle, do the options change once you hit Medicare? Is there an absence of options or is there still a world of decisions to make? It's really too many choices. Medicare has two original parts, two add-on parts for a total of four parts. And then you can add on one of 10 different supplements and there are state laws that affect those. And then we have the Part D, which is the newest part, the drug coverage. And literally across the nation, there's like 2,500 different plans. So in every state, you'll have 30 to 50 options for Part D and also Medicare Advantage plans. And so I think a lot of times when people get to Medicare, they put the cart before the horse. It's really important to learn your base benefits first, what Medicare covers on inpatient and outpatient and drug. And then you look at your supplemental options 
And it's sometimes overwhelming when you have your phone ringing off the wall and your mailbox is full of all these insurance companies saying, hey, welcome to Medicare, buy our product. So sometimes it is a lot of choices and people who don't know a lot about coverage or who have worked their whole lives and had an employer choose an option or maybe give them two choices one deductible, one high deductible. Now suddenly they come into a national health insurance system with way more choices, which sometimes leads us to make no choice at all. So the pivoting continues even after you're into your Medicare years. You bet. Dylan, I think some people sometimes have the false conclusion that once you have insurance, private insurance, maybe employer-based insurance, everything is taken care of. Let's talk a little bit about some of the problems your brother faced even when he had good insurance coverage. So he actually worked for the state of Florida. So he had fairly good coverage. They actually upped it to the top plan when they had their son. So best he could get essentially from the open market and an employer. Part of the issue, though, was with a longer term issue, he was eventually let go from his job. So then we opted into COBRA so we could extend the same good coverage and options because with his illness, we had to look for the best doctor in the country. Local doctors could do nothing for him. Luckily, he was somewhat of an anomaly for his age group where every doctor wanted to see him. It's good research, it's good for the hospital. Unfortunately, only two doctors in the whole country were willing to do his surgery. That comes at a cost. So with COBRA, with insurance, even if you have good insurance, it's really downplayed how much phone tag and billing issues you have to look into. On a good week, I was on the phone only 20 to 30 hours a week with insurance. At some portions, we had to float up to $60,000, dollars of our own money until we could get reimbursed. And some of that you don't know. So you have to take the gamble that it will work off. So we fundraised about a quarter million dollars throughout this process. And we, at one point, used every single dollar or almost tapped out because that's how much money you had to float in between these different systems and doctors and some have 90 to 120 day pays. So it's a complicated system that people just think, I have insurance, it's covered, it'll take care of it. But when you get something outside of a normal flu, something your local doctor can take of, the overall health system gets quite complicated and you really have to become your own advocate and do your own research. Luckily, a lot of hospitals have somebody that will work with you and train you, but the heavy lift is still on the individual. So take that into account in your family situation. If you're by yourself, having advanced healthcare directives, there's a lot to plan into than checking the box that you have insurance. Kim, Dylan talked about employer-based insurance and then COBRA. For many of us, the first thing we do is look at healthcare.gov and start looking at Obamacare. Can you talk about some of the pros and cons of going with the healthcare.gov type programs? Sure. We've used healthcare.gov plans in both Florida and Oregon. And depending on where you live and how much money you show, meaning your adjusted gross income, you're going to pay a different amount. And what we found in Oregon was you would actually pay a different amount depending on your income in two ways. One was the presence or lack of subsidies and the other was the price of the plan itself, right? So it was sort of like a double Robin Hood pricing scheme in Oregon, which is great if you are already retired. But if you're in those last couple of years where you're at your highest income earning potential, you're paying full price. And I was actually surprised by how few of our friends, you know, people knew we were small business owners, but how few of our friends 
actually understood that the price of your health insurance was dependent on your income. And even medical provider friends of ours didn't know that. So bringing that variable into the equation, you can optimize what your premiums are going to be based on the type of plan you have, whether you have a high deductible with an HSA or a Cadillac plan. And you can do things like contribute to a 401k to lower your AGI that year. It's actually a really fun thing to play around with. Lynn, for those who have high adjusted gross income, often they don't find the Obamacare plans are as suitable for them. Talk about healthcare sharing ministries. What are they and what role do they play? Health sharing ministries are an interesting concept. They're actually not considered health insurance. When you pay a premium, a monthly premium, it's considered a donation. So they're not subject to the same types of rules that insurers are subject to. What you'll tend to see is lower premiums, which can be helpful if you have a higher AGI or just actually at any level of adjusted gross income, it's quite reasonable premiums. However, there's all these buts. Health sharing ministries are religious-based, and so you usually have to ascribe to some sort of religious affiliation or agreement. You usually are not approved to be in them if you're smoking or if you do anything sinful. I'm using air quotes. (laughs) If you drink too much, if you do really dangerous activities. So a lot of people are against this because, first of all, they do those things. And second of all, because they don't like that idea of exclusiveness. What we also see is they exclude things that are related to birth control, vasectomies, things that really would be covered under a lot of insurers. And they get around that by not really being an insurer. So basically, you're giving as a donation, and then that money is being distributed to the people who are actually using it. Betty Sue in Iowa, you're sending her money. So it's reduced cost because you have a healthier cohort, and then it's also reduced cost because you are having less administrative burden. Is there some fear that because it's not a governmental regulated health insurance company that overall fairness won't be the same or that you won't be protected the same way you would with a health insurer? I would say, Doc G, yes. I think actually with any plan you have, you should be very diligent. But yes, it's not regulated in the same way. There has been some newer companies they found fraudulently. So I would definitely say do your due diligence. But there's a lot of great companies that have had really good histories. And there's pros and cons with health sharing ministries and with private insurance. Danielle, are there decisions for the older age group? Is it Medicare or nothing? Or are there other types of ways people insure themselves outside of Medicare, even after 65? For the most part, people enroll in Medicare because there are penalties that start to accumulate if you don't enroll at age 65, unless you have creditable coverage. We do sometimes see people who have lived in the United States for less than five years have to make other options until they're eligible for Medicare. So the Affordable Care Act plans are something they can take advantage of. But once you turn 65, if you are eligible for Medicare because you've lived here five years, more than five years, you have to enroll during a seven-month window that surrounds your 65th birthday. And sometimes we've seen in the last few years, if someone was on an Affordable Care Act plan with a really good subsidy, they would fail to enroll in Medicare because Medicare was more expensive than what they were paying due to their subsidy with the ACA. And then they were finding out a year or two later that this wasn't allowed. They were supposed to have left that plan and go on Medicare. And now they're facing a Part B late enrollment penalty that they'll take with them for life for as long as they're paying for Medicare. So Congress actually 
actually had to come together more than once to give people a special election period to fix that mistake. So really, if you're going to be living in the U.S. for right now, at age 65 and older, you're going to be doing Medicare as your base coverage, and then you have options for what you do to supplement that, but Medicare really does need to be the foundation. I'd like to transition this conversation a little bit and go to the more advanced health hacking. So us in the financial independence community like to find ways around the traditional ways of doing things in order to make it less expensive and more viable, especially at early ages. I'm going to throw a few things out there. Dylan, let me start with you. Any experience with medical tourism? Was that ever anything you considered with your brother, maybe trying to get him out of the country for special types of procedures? It was brought up to us actually from his one doctor for ongoing treatment. But ultimately, there were so many loopholes and things that we had to consider already. I don't think we could even start to enter the realm of further transportation. I've used doctors while traveling abroad, but usually for low-grade things like you have a flu or fever, you can handle it directly at a pharmacy in a lot of countries. But I don't know about myself traveling somewhere else. If it was a one-off thing, maybe. If it was something that required ongoing treatment, probably less so. Kim, you were talking about state-to-state differences with insurance before. Geo-arbitrage, is it a technique we should be using to get the best out of our healthcare system? I think it can help a lot of people to put an actual dollar amount to their plan. If you're thinking about moving for, you know, making a move for early retirement, go ahead and pick your top three or five places and plug in the numbers, plug in the zip code and see what you're looking at because you might find that it's a lot more beneficial to be in this county over this county, et cetera. Yeah. So back to my brother and traveling state by state, which is a lot different. We actually had his treatment started in Florida. Then we took him to Duke, then back to Pennsylvania because different medical systems outside of just insurance were willing to work with us on discounts with certain doctors. So especially if you have something unique, there's some arbitrage also in that. If you know it's a somewhat medical abnormality, there's actually some purchasing power with that, sadly. Duke actually did his brain surgery with one of the top three doctors in the country, round-the-clock specialized nurse, a second surgery, his own staff for three days, essentially. And that total bill was less than $40,000 for the insurance. And then we paid a small portion. If we went to our local doctor, it would have been in the half million dollar range. They're essentially doing it at cost for the research. Yeah, I'm curious about that. When you start off plugging in the numbers or evaluating these two different options, how did you know that that was going to be a cheaper option than than locally? We didn't. I think it goes back to what Lynn said. You have to be able to learn and pivot as you go. If it's something smaller, you probably would never know the options. It's good to know if you're moving, like Kim said, do your research into the high overall programs. But once you get over a certain dollar value and severity, you have to start getting creative and explore all options. And your local patient advocate at your hospital is really your best resource because they know the in and outs, all the different government programs, hospital systems, who's looking for what. So they're definitely your number one go-to once you start encountering larger issues. Lynn, some of my good friends, Bryce and Christy over at Millennial Revolution often talk about expat insurance. And you were talking about all the different possibilities and options. Is that one you've ever come across and used? 
there's a lot of different plans and I'm finding more and more. It's like a, a continuous rabbit hole. But when I think of arbitrage, I think of that they kind of fall into three basic buckets. One of them, we've talked about it in some ways, medical tourism, which is good for things that you can plan ahead that are not emergency situations that you know and can do research on. So you go over there to get the procedure and come back. Then travel medical. So if you're traveling for a period of time, and usually it's for a shorter period of time. And then there's full-time expat insurance where you basically become almost like a resident and take on their insurance. But you're also asking about, can you get insurance abroad from here while you're traveling? Yeah. That is my understanding. Those are one of the rabbit holes I'm going into deeper. One of the things that I'm realizing is that, so I have this document that I've been working on, you know, that's got all these options. And then I keep talking with more people. I was talking with people at FinCon and then I find more little nuances and I realize that no single person can bring this, like a document like this updated. So I was planning to crowdsource it to start to get the community behind how can we update and keep the options that are available so we can answer questions like that easier. Danielle, Lynn brings up an important point that not only are there tons of options, but it's actually hard to find the information in a usable manner. Do we have the same problems with the Medicare population? Are there as many different types of arbitrage? And is there one place that older people can go and look at and find out what their options are? There's probably a number of places which is contributes to some of the overwhelm. There's less of the arbitrage ability, although certainly Medicare, you're paying a percentage of the cost that you have for outpatient coverage. And this can even include very expensive things like chemotherapy, radiation, dialysis. And in some states, the cost of healthcare is just more than others. So something we recommend for people that are getting ready to retire, if they have flexibility on where they're going to live during retirement, is to look at some of those cost differences in by states. So for example, here in Texas, you might pay $100 a month for a supplement that's going to pretty much cover all of your outpatient costs and you'll have almost nothing out of pocket. And if you move to Florida and bought the same plan, you'd pay 150% more than that. So if you have some flexibility, that might be one way that you can tweak that with Medicare. But for the most part, at least the basic Medicare, kind of everyone gets the same thing. And then how they manage their supplemental coverage is where they can get into some of the savings. Dylan, I want to pivot just a touch. When you find that you can't manage it the way you want to through the traditional insurance means, are there other ways? I think I saw you mention fundraising or crowdsourcing. Is that something that people turn to in some of these situations? Yeah, it actually happens a good bit. And since my brother's incident several years ago, I probably helped about a dozen other campaigns raise several million dollars for their own uh, health issues. But it also depends on your level of privacy, how much you want to maintain yourself, because you do have to put yourself out there in order people connect and understand but there's tons of different platforms to do it. I mean, GoFundMe, we used a combination of people in our own community that were good with web development, making our own website, teaming up with my employer, my brother's former employer to do fundraising events, churches, outreach, different individual programs for the individual disease is also usually your best bet because they already have a network of people that are emotional about that certain disease that are willing to help. But once again, always have to be able to pivot because it's going to change even as you go. 
And I think one of those pivots might be short-term health insurance. Uh, Kim, I think you mentioned that before. Uh, can you clarify more about what that is and, and how it, I didn't realize it was different per state. I think it's what you were saying, right? <laughs> so the way short-term health insurance works, essentially it's, it's very similar to a high deductible health insurance plan where you have a higher out-of-pocket number every year that you would have to pay before it kicks in. However, one difference is with a short-term plan, you're not eligible to contribute to a health savings account. So that's kind of a bummer for me. Mm. And is that because it is short-term health insurance or because it, its deductibles are too high or too low, I guess? It's not compliant for an uh, HSA high deductible healthcare plan. So this is actually our second time using short-term health insurance plan. And I believe in Wyoming, we can renew for three terms. So three years of coverage before having to pivot to something else like a, an ACA plan. One thing that we had to get used to with the short-term plan is certain things are not covered. For example, there's a maximum of uh, $3,000 a year of prescription coverage, and it doesn't include things like birth control, childbirth, things like that. But for our family, you know, we, we plan ahead for those kind of things, right? So I think a lot of families, if you know, if you meticulously track your healthcare usage and you know, how much do I go to the doctor? How much do I go to the dentist, et cetera? And you can do the cost benefit analysis and say, hey, we've got enough to cover this max if we have a bad year, and then we can go on something else later. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, 
We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. And Lynn, Kim mentioned the HSA, and I think any conversation would be incomplete unless we talked a little bit about the magic of HSAs. It sounds like people are using health savings accounts for other things, not including healthcare as kind of a glamorous retirement tax-deferred savings plan. Can you talk a little bit on that? Is that something you're doing? Sure. Yeah. So I like to clarify whenever people talk about HSAs versus FSAs. So HSAs are the health savings account versus FSA, which is the flexible spending account. So you're asking about HSAs, which are an account that you contribute to and you can invest in after, usually after a period of time, you can choose where it's invested for future growth. You can keep it in there for as long as you'd like, and you can withdraw it at any point as long as you keep your receipts for your medical expenses. So you could even keep it there to grow and then later withdraw it for healthcare expenses, theoretically in decades. You know, we never know the tax code, but that's in theory what could happen. So a lot of people in the financial independence community use HSAs. Kim, you actually have talked about using your HSA as a glamorous 529 plan. Is that right? Essentially, it's part of our college savings strategy. So since it's a savings account, when you reimburse yourself for a medical expense from 10, 15 years previous, that's not reported as income when you file your FAFSA. And since it's technically a a retirement savings account, it's not included in your assets on the FAFSA as well. So I have a binder in my file cabinet that says HSA and it has every single medical receipt. It's like my $12,000 binder. I'm holding on to that. One thing to add on to HSA is a lot of receipts are actually printed on thermal paper that will ink will disappear over time. So scan all your receipts and also get a copy of your explanation of benefits because the receipt doesn't always tell you what it covers. So that will help you with your documentation down the road. And if your medical provider has an online account, sign up for that because they'll do all the organizing for you. Danielle, I want to bring this conversation all the way back to the beginning. What we've clearly established here is that there are a lot of pivot points and a lot of choices to be made, and they can have financial consequences. So how do we start setting up a budget for our financial independence plan for our time after work? How do we know how much money we should allot for healthcare costs? There's some studies online that 
talk about the different types of healthcare costs. And I think the Fidelity study estimated that the average couple 65 and older would need about $280,000 for their healthcare expenses throughout a lifetime. Now, that includes certainly what you're going to be spending for Medicare. It also includes some things that Medicare doesn't cover, like dental, vision, hearing, and long-term care being one of the big ones. A lot of people think that Medicare will pay for that, and Medicare only pays for short-term care. So if you have a wound or something and you need to be in a skilled nursing facility, yes, they're going to cover that. But if you are slowly losing your ability to live independently, and now it's time to move into assisted living or something, Medicare doesn't cover that. And we all know that that's tremendously expensive. You can plan for those costs with things like a long-term care insurance policy. We do love the HSAs for Medicare as well. If you're diligent in the fire community about always putting that money into your HSA, someday when you turn 65, you have this nest egg of money and you can use those funds to pay for your Medicare premiums, deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance, and long-term care. So that's important. Another thing that you have to plan for is your income as you're heading into Medicare affects what your Medicare premiums will be. So if you are someone that earns more than 85000 filing single or 170000 filing jointly, you will pay considerably more for Medicare Parts B and D, which are your outpatient drug coverage, than you would if you earned less than that. So those last few years of our earning power sometimes are our highest years and they can greatly impact what you'll pay for Medicare heading into those that 65 plus area. So those are all things that if you start, you know, at least five years out looking at the horizon and planning, okay, this is what I'm probably going to be spending on my healthcare coverage when I retire. How much more do I need to put away to where that's not going to be a hardship on me? Those are some really great ways to go about planning ahead for that. Lynn, Danielle opined on long-term care insurance. What's the current feeling in the FIRE community about long-term care insurance? Is it worthwhile, not worthwhile, affordable? Here's the pressure. Well, when I studied the data long ago, the sweet spot for buying long-term care insurance was around the age of 55. You start too young, you could instead invest that, you know, in the S&P. But what they found was they really underestimated the cost of payout for long-term care insurance. And so they've really bumped up the premiums and total costs. So I don't have a solid feeling or, you know, I've seen it go both ways. I don't think there's a strong feeling either way. I think a lot of folks in the fire community are in their 30s and 40s. And so the concepts of Medicare and long-term care insurance are removed from their front vision. So I don't actually hear it discussed too much, but I think it probably should. I think a lot of people are self-insuring, basically, for those future years. Kim, I hate to sound like Susie Orman, but are, are we being too conservative? <laughs> You know, one of my favorite articles about insurance was, it's a classic Mr. Money Mustache, but insurance being a tax on people who are bad at math. You know, as two engineers, we, we kind of pride ourselves on making calculations from top to bottom, left to right. But at the end of the day, you can't predict everything. So one of the things that we use personally is looking at our parents and looking at the kind of problems that they're facing and what kind of costs are they encountering because they're standard retirement age and they're they have the health you know, concerns that are coming with older age. And I kind of feel like that's our foresight to say, okay, if this is something that my mom's facing, you know, if this is something that my husband's dad's facing, we need to plan for this. And we are not shy about asking them, how much does that cost? So I had a thought for Susie. So Susie, <laughs> I grew up loving her. And then when she talked about the fire community, I was very, very disappointed because 
at first she misunderstood, I think, some of the basic principles. And then she also made the assumption, for those of you who didn't know, she talked about the cost of her mom's long-term care and how if she didn't have millions and millions and millions in the bank, then that would have you know, been very, very detrimental. But the issue that I have is the solution to every problem doesn't have to be money. It could actually be that you care for your mother. Or, I mean, it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be, it could be your time. It could be creativity. It could be a lot of different things, but that doesn't always have to be the solution. And so depending on what solutions you're willing to do, I think depends on what type of insurance you need in your life. Danielle, I saw you kind of shaking your head there. Did that resonate with you, what you just said? Yeah, it really does. In our group, the money nerds uh, in our greater community, uh, Cameron Huddleston just put out a book about mom, dad, we need to talk. And it was a fabulous book. You know, she had her mom entering Alzheimer's at 65 when Cameron herself was 35, which is really young. And I think that Lynn makes a great point that a lot of times it's not just the expense that may have to be there. Sometimes there's other ways that you have solutions for that. And you can manage that in the earlier years with a lot of your own time. But you also have to know that at some point, it could be that you just simply can't provide for that care. So one of the things that Cameron had suggested in that group is that parents don't always have the conversation with their children about which child they're thinking is going to provide that care. So if you are looking at some of those other options, which certainly can help with reducing the end result of the long-term care bill, make sure that you have a frank and financial conversation with your kids. And to say, I can tell you my mom, if something happens to her, she absolutely expects me to care for her because it won't be my brother. (laughs) And if there were more kids in the family, I think it would be important for her to have had that conversation with me because sometimes that child isn't expecting that. So knowing that what we do know about the how long we're living these days and that all of those things may be in our future, it's a conversation that we can have with our own children as we get older about what some of those solutions might be and also making sure that they have everything in place for the time that you retire. I like those advanced healthcare directives, the power of attorney. Make sure even if you're still in sound in mind and in good health that you take care of those things during that window and not later when it can be a much bigger burden to have to care for a parent when you didn't look for all of those legal pieces and putting those in place when everyone was still competent enough to do that. Dylan, I'm going to ask you this question, then I'm going to bounce back to Danielle for the same one. Do you see things getting better in the future? It's hard to say. I think when we're talking about long-term care insurance, quite frankly, it's not even on my radar yet because I feel like once I'm into that 55, 60-year range where I, I would consider it, it might change three or four times altogether before then. I think it's politically charged, emotionally charged. It's going to change. So back to that flexibility where I'm going to try to self-insure both through good health and money, but be able to adapt over time where I might be on a health health share ministry for a point of time, then back to traditional insurance. And it's just going to keep changing. Danielle, do you see sociopolitically things getting better? Will this idea of healthcare costs and healthcare insurance be less of a bankrupting force in the future? I really hope so, because one thing that's happening right now is that we're having a big national conversation about this. So in the last round of elections, healthcare was a big topic. It's probably going to be an even bigger topic in the upcoming presidential elections because we have candidates that are for Medicare for all. There's also some bills on the table that a lot of people don't talk about. One of them is Medicare at 50, where you would extend people 
to be, allow them to buy into Medicare early, which would take care of one of the most uninsured segments, which is people aged 50 to 65, because those healthcare plans are so expensive in that age bracket and they have such high deductibles to make that affordable. So there are some plans that I think there's going to be a much bigger national conversation on in the next year or two. We also see both the president and Congress uh, having conversations about the drug prices. And that's really, really important because the cost of our medications here in the US are so much more expensive than what our neighbors pay. And this causes medical tourism. It causes things like, I don't know if you've seen the national articles about how many people with diabetes are dying because they're trying to ration their their medications, which is just a tragedy. So at least the conversation is happening. And, and, and that of course needs to be the first step to coming to some sort of solutions so that people don't get bankrupted by this, but that they also have adequate medical care and aren't just relying on, you know, the county hospital when something goes wrong. When you talk about that, it becomes very politically charged. And I kind of wonder what the conversation is going to be about because invariably universal healthcare comes up. Yes. So I'm curious what y'all's thoughts are about that. And, and really, before you even answer that, uh, the ACA was a step towards that. And I actually have an honest question that I don't know the answer to is, did it actually improve things? I'll start with Lynn. What, what were your thoughts on the ACA? Did it actually take a step in the right direction based on the actual benefit to the average person trying to look for insurance? I'm going to be brave here and I'm going to say my personal opinion. Yeah. And, and I think with many things with the fire community, it's so big that we have people with a lot of different opinions within the group. So I'm mm-hmm. not a spokesperson for anybody but myself. I think our health system is a mess. And I do actually think single payer is a move in the right direction because of my personal beliefs that basic health care should be a human right. So, and I know that's not what everybody believes and that's okay. As a second aside, I actually believe that it will cost less. So whether you care about humanitarian issues or the cost issue, I believe that it would function more cost effective. And with a lot of single payer possibilities, there's also the option to do concierge type care if people want more accelerated care or more intensive, advanced or optional care. But I think it's an absolute disaster right now. It's very financially inefficient and it's got a lot of perverse incentives within the system. And although I don't think it would be perfect, I do think it would be a move in the right direction. And I think the ACA has problems, certainly a lot of problems, but I think it's benefiting more people than it's harming. So that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the way I feel about it as well, even though it is a big mess. Can you clarify there what single pair is for somebody who may not know? So with single payer, it just basically means it would be essentially either government run or run by, I guess it could be a private entity. I suppose that's possibility. The idea is that a large entity would be able to negotiate things like pharmacy costs because they're so large that they are, right now our pharmacy costs are absolutely astronomical. They account for the cost of research and development, they say, or marketing, but it is so beyond the cost of actually creating medications. It's for a large profit margin. And if you have a large single payer able to negotiate that, the theory is that it would just force the prices to be down toward a more reasonable level. So yeah, I'd love to hear other people's thoughts. So regarding universal healthcare and and healthcare being a basic human right, Politically, that kind of gets into the realm of, do we have a right to another person's labor? Because the doctors and the nurses have to show up to take care of you. That's not something I really talk about a lot openly. But, you know, we have family who's traveled abroad to countries where over a certain age, the hospital just won't see you. That's not a problem in the U.S. You walk into a hospital, you get treated. They can't turn you away. It might cost you a lot of money later, but you have the access. So I would say 
overall, I think the Affordable Care Act did a lot of good things. You know, by covering the well visits, the preventative care, birth control, these things, they've made a lot of headway in a lot of areas that needed addressing that weren't there when I was a teenager and looking for these things. You know, we were just talking last week at FinCon about doing more politics and personal finance. And <laughs> healthcare is lightning rod for that, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a different opinion on it. And I guess it's sort of like saying education is a basic human right. Well, that's why we have libraries. But do you have a right to make a teacher go stand in front of a classroom and teach you? That's my other side of the limb. Yeah, Kim, I agree with you on a lot of, well, so I'm a nurse and Doc G is a doc. I do agree that forcing somebody into labor is not a good choice. What we see with folks and what we're seeing in a lot of area hospitals is that by folks not having that basic insurance, what they do is they use the ER as their primary care doctor. They get the care that's needed, but it's later and it's much more expensive. So even if you're not looking at the like humanitarian issue, if you're just looking at the cost perspective, when we wait longer because we don't have basic care, the costs can really blossom. I guess that's probably a euphemism. So that's another perspective that I've really been considering. We've seen a lot more ER visits as basically substitute for primary care doctors. Yeah. I tend to lean a little more towards Lynn's side on this one. Not saying anyone's right or wrong, it's just my personal perspective. I believe ACA did a lot of good. There's definitely plenty of cons to it as well. The biggest thing for me is the ability to not deny you on your previous health history. I think that part's non-negotiable for me, no matter how we go about it in the future. But one of the big things that struck me in this past year even is when I go to the pharmacy, pick up a prescription, they won't fill it ahead of time anymore. I was picking up a $20 prescription and I got asked ahead of time to pay for it because they've had so many people turn away prescriptions, $10, $20 prescriptions that people aren't willing to pay for, can't, won't, don't know if it's worth it. But if it's something that minute, in my mind, $20 to get healthier faster, no brainer. But there's enough other people that are struggling with that $20. A lot of pharmacies won't even fulfill that ahead of time. It makes you wonder how big this issue really is. We're thinking about it on the larger scale, but $20 is massive to some people. So imagine when you get that unexpected ER visit, a $5,000 bill for a cut finger. It's an avalanche very quickly. So I'm more on the side of single payer, trying to use that buying power of a large entity to try to streamline the process. I would agree from the Medicare end that we need to have a some sort of government involvement in the regulation of the prescriptions just because there's such a big gap. One of the things about the cost, though, that I always love to point out when talking about the national answer to what do we do about healthcare is the idea that is of Medicare for all as a program, the way it's presented, at least from Bernie Sanders, is different than the way Medicare exists today. So a lot of people are not aware of that. The idea being proposed is free everything. It's free. You don't have any co-pays. You don't have any co-insurance. There's no deductibles. It's going to cover everything under the sun. And currently, we have about 60 million people on Medicare, and it is absolutely not free. They pay $135 a month minimum for Part B. Then they're paying for Part D. They pay more if they had higher incomes. They pay 20% of all their costs. They pay deductibles, and they also have uh, things that aren't covered, like the dental, vision, and hearing, whereas the Medicare for All is proposing to cover that. So I'm always curious how we're going to 
afford that as a nation. If we can't even make it free for 60 million people, how do we make it free for 300 million people? And the answer is comes down to tax increases. And so if you tax the middle class at 60%, they're still not going to be able to afford a million other things in their lifetime. And then that's the catch 22. And I do have concerns about the quality of that healthcare because my husband is Canadian and I know that his mom had a back issue, pain in her hip. She saw her doctor about that for years before she finally was in so much pain that she paid for a private MRI. And of course they found a giant tumor growing on her spine. Well, then she got rushed in and there was a surgery immediately and thank God it was benign. But what we watched is her suffer and suffer waiting for that until finally she paid for the MRI on her own. My husband also, when he was sick, he would have to go outside the clinic on a Thursday morning in Canada. It's like sub 140 degrees, <laughs> so cold. And there'd be a line of people outside the clinic on Thursday morning and he'd be out there sick and coughing, waiting for his chance to go into the clinic. And a lot of times he couldn't even get a prescription because there's so much government control over the spending on prescriptions because of the cost. So there's so many factors and I'm not giving that I think one thing is good or bad, but no Knowing those challenges, that's where the national conversation needs to go. You know, there's a lot of different parties in play here, and there's not going to be everything for free. That money is going to come from somewhere. And I wish I would see them talking more about that. Maybe we will get there in the upcoming election. Some more transparency will happen on that. But I'd love to hear more on the numbers. So I opened this can of worms about going the, to the national level, which is interesting conversation, <laughs> but I would like to pull it back and give each of you guys a chance to really answer the heart of the question that we started off with was, will healthcare costs hinder your path to financial independence? And what should our listeners be thinking about based on your experience? How are they supposed to protect themselves? So I'll give each of you a chance to answer that. Dylan, go ahead. Yeah, my plan, like I said, I'm willing to work additional years to build that buffer to self-insulate myself, but it's also having a life you enjoy in the meantime, where it's not feel like you're slogging away to build that buffer. And once again, looking at the plans and adapting to them, not something you have to follow day to day, but every three to five years, once you get closer to your retirement date, really start to tune in and see what will be perfect for your situation because there's far too many situations in here to find one blog post that's going to tell you exactly how to do it. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's the, the real issue, right, is there is no one silver bullet answer. Kim, what are your thoughts uh, based on your research and your experience? Uh, what would you have the listeners take away from this? Well, kind of like anything else, you control what you can control, and then you make plans on what you can't control. So what we can control is lifestyle, number one. We don't smoke, we get enough sleep, we keep our stress levels low, diet and exercise, those kind of things. We also find little ways to do any kind of DIY that we can. So for example, ordering a home test kit instead of going to the doctor and having the same exact test kit performed for things like colorectal cancer. Control what you can control, right? But as far as in the long term, you know, you mentioned the medical tourism or expatriation. That's absolutely on the table for our family. Even with a kid in school, if, if it was a life or death choice, I would have no problem relocating somewhere else. And that's just part of being flexible. Danielle, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think you do have to do a lot of planning, but there are certainly many things that you can do to put yourself in a better position. You can build up the emergency savings account 
maybe an HSA medical emergency savings account in the years before you retire. Another thing that I myself did before I launched my company, and I've also seen a number of my clients do over the years, is negotiate a part-time position with your employer as you head out. I carried a part-time position for almost 10 years into my entrepreneurship, just enough money to eat peanut butter and pay the mortgage, but also he kept my health insurance in place. And that was such a tremendous cost savings for me. So do you have a relationship with your employer where there's a piece that you could take with you and you can make a step into retiring early and carry that health insurance with you? We also live in an age when there's better opportunity to make money than ever before. Almost anyone can go and be an Uber driver. You can sign up to tutor online. You can pet sit in your own neighborhood. What are some of those things that you could build into your lifestyle now so that you can max out your HSA account so that you do have the emergency savings? So if you want to opt for a $6,500 deductible on an Affordable Care Act plan, if something happens, you've got the money there to meet that. And all of those things need to go into your planning so that you can achieve the early retirement without adding all of the financial stress at one time. Perfect. Thank you for your thoughts there. And Lynn, I'll give you the last word. Yeah. So I'm going to get a little meta here. So a lot of, a lot of people ask about, you know, how much should I have and should I do my HSA and my FSA and all that? And I do think that's important, but insurance doesn't insure you from everything in life. And I don't know if I get, told you guys this, right as I gave my notice that week later, we found out our house was at risk for imminent collapse. Did mm. I ever tell you guys that? Mm-hmm. So yeah. So <laughs> most normal people would say, oh, well, maybe I should go back to work. That wasn't in the plan. And insurance are insurance company, which is a great company, denied our claim. So we were on the bill for the entire thing. So most people would go back to work, but we felt like we could do this. So we put our house back together. We just finished. It took us a year, but we did it because we had flexibility. We had perhaps grit. I don't know. But there's all these things that will happen in life. And that goes for insurance with your house, insurance with your health care, that money is one aspect of it. But having other forms of capital in your life, like connections with these folks that are on the panel here who are knowledgeable, connections with maybe you have spirituality, connections with resourcefulness and creativity. Those are really going to be the things that are going to help you navigate this complex system. Well, thank you for that answer. I want to give you a chance to promote what you're working on, Lynn, and where can we find you? Well, I started nursenumbers.com and I do financial coaching specifically for nurses and their families. The other side project, which is going to probably be a big project that I'm working on, is this resource that has the 22 different forms of healthcare in early retirement and that I'm compiling and I'm hoping to crowdsource. So I think that's going to be really helpful for the financial independence community and also for entrepreneurs. So I'm pulling that together and hoping for crowdsource contributions to make it a really dynamic document. Perfect. If anybody wants to get a hold of you and contribute to that, how should they reach out? I'm going to create a platform on my website at www.nursenumbers.com and there will be a link. I'm not sure if I'm going to put it in a vault or open source it completely. Got it. So yeah. Danielle, to you now, what is up next for you? So we have 10,000 baby boomers aging into Medicare every day, and I've run out of space here in this office. I just hired my 50th employee. So we're moving in January to a triple size space, which is going to be super exciting. And hopefully then we can help even more baby boomers across the nation with just learning that transition from employer paid insurance or individual insurance into a government system. You can find us easy online and in any social media. We are Boomer Benefits and boomerbenefits.com. And what's up next for you in your life? For me personally? Yeah. 
my husband and I are talking about adopting another dog. So we'll see about that. I'm big into, <laughs> I'm into rescue. My kids are the furry kind. <laughs> so besides the office build out, uh, we, might, we might add a furry family member here sometime this fall. Wonderful. Thank you for coming. Uh, Kim, how about you? What's up next for you and where can we find you? What's up next? Retiring. That's kind of what started this whole public documentation of our financial lives. Is We started writing at thefrugalengineers.com. And mostly we focus on the choices that you can make to optimize your finances, whether it's relocation, examining. For example, I have a series on college savings for early retiree families. That's not something that's really talked about, kind of a Mm non-traditional audience. And yeah, just enjoying Wyoming, learning how to ski. Oh, nice. I'd like to hear that. Dylan, I'd like to give you that chance as well. Where can we find you and let the audience know what is up next with you? So I just started my own site, dollarrevolution.com, a few weeks ago, where I want to start highlighting storytelling and parables that people that aren't interested in finances might be able to relate to and start to see how little tweaks can alter their life, as well as how to get ahead in the professional world when you don't start with any connections or view into that world. And as far as a personal level, my wife is pregnant. So we're getting ready for our second child coming in the world. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Danielle, Kim, Lynn, and Dylan. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast, and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group, and you can get access by texting the word NEXT to the number 345-345. That's a wrap. Good job, everybody. You sound exactly the same, Doc, when you do the rap. I thought it was like a pre-recorded because it's just perfect radio voice every time. <laughs> but it's you. Well, you no watch one's him ever, when he talks. He, yeah, no one's he, ever like, accused me of having a radio voice. But you, you do. You have a face for radio. Ooh. <gasps> oh. Thanks, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> you, have a beard, you do have a beard for radio. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Love it. Perfect. And Lynn, you're an old, old hat at this, so you should be able to nail this, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you ready? Okay. Yeah. Three, two, one. This is Lynn Frere from nursenumbers.com. You're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Yeah, that was perfect what you said. I think you bumped um, something when you started talking. Did so I? Just, yeah. Yeah. Just do it again whenever you're ready. Okay. This is Lynn Frere from, let me start over. <laughs> you, you, you set me up to do this perfectly, so I won't. You know that. You know that, right? <laughs> okay. This is Lynn Frere from nursenumbers.com. You're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. And somebody else made a sound. I didn't mention anything. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a, I'm a statue back here. Yeah, I think somebody else. Do, do it again? Yeah, go ahead. You guys just want to hear me talk over and over. Okay, no problem. And uh, yeah, you want me to stop there? No, I was, okay. I was, I was making, I was putting my hand up for <laughs> Do you have anything more to say? No, that's about it. Lynn, Danielle opined on long-term care insurance. What's the current feeling in the FIRE community about long-term care insurance? Is it worthwhile, not worthwhile, affordable? 
I don't know if I can speak on behalf of the whole fire community, but I'll, I'll try to talk to you. It's, it's um, all on you. You know, one of my favorite articles about insurance was, it's a classic Mr. Money Mustache, but insurance being a tax on people who are bad at math. <laughs> and <laughs> I'll start with Lynn. What, what were your thoughts on the ACA? Did it actually take a step in the right direction based on the actual benefit to the average person trying to look for insurance? Boy, you guys are asking such big <laughs> questions, which I know that's the whole idea. Um, I'm going to be brave here and I'm going to say my personal opinion. Yeah. And we also find little ways to do any kind of DIY that we can. So for example, ordering a home test kit instead of going to the doctor and having the same exact test kit performed for things like colorectal cancer if we're getting sexy here. So. <laughs> 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 control what you can control, right? Um, uh, Kim, how about you? What's up next for you and where can we find you? What's up next? Retiring. I love it. <laughs> Good deal. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.